0: If you'd like to support the show in a way other than just listening, head on over to patreon.com forward slash The Flight Diary for more information. This episode is brought to you by Double Helix Disc Sports. Double Helix is a growing disc golf retail brand started in 2019 by brothers Mark and Matt. Since I've been working with them personally, it's been so obvious to see how passionate they are about growing the sport as a whole, as well as providing guidance to each and every customer as they progress in their own disc golf journeys. Head to DoubleHelixDiscSports.com for their full selection of equipment, apparel, and their homemade grip solution, the Ringtail Dry Sack. For even more disc golf content and information, find them on Instagram at DoubleHelixDiscSports. This episode of The Flight Diary is brought to you by Wander Disc Golf, a brand that's bred from passion for the sport and all of the beautiful places it can take us. Wander has a wide variety of thoughtful apparel rooted in disc golf and an advocacy for mental health. Find them at @wanderdiscgolf Golf on Instagram and shop at WanderDiscGolf.com. You're listening to The Flight Diary, an intimate collection of stories, theories, and thoughts from the world of professional disc golf. I'm your host, Brian Earhart. Connor O'Reilly is the newest PDGA member to ever win an event on the national tour, edging out Ricky Wysocki at the 2021 Delaware Disc Golf Challenge at Iron Hill, It's really not common for someone to have success this early at the top level of the game, so I sat down with him to pick his brain about who he is, where he comes from, and what truly drives him to be successful at the game of disc golf. Enjoy. Paint the picture of what it felt like growing up in the Texas suburbs. Like, were you West Texas, East Texas? Where were
1: you? Austin, so I mean, Central Texas, hill, cro- hill country, a little scrubby. Okay. Yeah, but there's a good variety of stuff, and when you come, when it comes to Austin, like, well, like what, like, yeah, what, what? It's kind of the blending of like all, all of Texas's like different ecosystems, almost like they kind of all meet right there in the in the middle of Texas, which is cool.
0: Yeah. So like, as a kid, I've heard a lot of things about Austin, Texas. Like, what, yeah. what is childhood like? What is it like? Kind know, of coming. I spend up- a lot
1: of time outside, so like. I would be out like making a little bow and arrow and out there tormenting tormenting my brothers and like we had these specific kind of reeds that would grow, and you'd pull them out, and the roots were like a nice little point and the I'd kind of pull some of the feathers off of them or some of like the branches and like it would lighten lighten it up and just leave a couple on the end for aerodynamics <laughs> and then I was a deadly with with the, they, had like, I feel they had like like a foam had... in the middle of them yes they probably yeah they took a foam material in the middle and like they're pretty light but they're still like you could do a little, you could like do a little bit of damage, like but not, not like really fuck somebody up. You know? <laughs> how, how old were your brothers? How Like how old are your brothers? Like compared to you? Um, so Callahan is two and a half years younger than me, and then Liam, who's right below him, we call him Irish twins. They're less than a year apart by like four days. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's like three and a half years, and then Shay, who's the youngest, he's actually got Down's, but he's a 9 years younger than me right around there. Oh, right like, on. So he's like the, he's the youngest eight and a half, in the family. Nine years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I mean, uh you
0: said Shay was your youngest brother's name. Mm-hmm. So obviously 9 years younger. Shay wasn't a part of like your elementary like childhood, yeah, but like for sure. but you have two
1: brothers. Mm-hmm.
0: Like so you're you're the big I, yeah. you're the big guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then We have
1: older sisters, so I so I I had been kind of, you know, molt, like my sister would kind of beat on me and like you know, <laughs> yeah. just like torment me and like tickle me till I pee my pants, like do all this <laughs> stuff. So like, Cla- that's some
0: classic like movie <laughs> bullying right there.
1: Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So pull the hair, you know, all, she'd do all this stuff, scare me, like all, you know, <laughs> and sit, hide around the corner and scare me, and like. Did you
0: guys live close to the city downtown? Uh, like of- t-
1: like twenty minutes out.
0: Okay, so you were like a like but, actual suburban sprawl. Yeah. What did you remember most? from, like, the, I guess, the most innocent years of your life before, like, things started to get more serious with, like, sports and everything else
1: like that? I mean, I feel like what I remember the most in the more innocent years, like, before, because sport, sports came in kind of early, just with having two younger brothers and hanging out around kids who played sports. So those came in kind of, like, of elementary school for me and, like, into middle school is when I picked those up. But, like, oh, okay. before that, it was, like, really, like, a lot of outdoor time for me. Like, I loved like I used to love dinosaurs as a kid, and I loved like Indians and cowboys. So <laughs> yeah. I would always go out there and recreate my own like Indians cowboys thing in my head, and I would like okay. make a fort and have my. I would always have like a bow and arrow ready, and like some of them, I, I had one that was like actually really dangerous. You made your own bow and arrow, like, actually. I would just I would just use like simple like nylon string and just find like the perfect stick. And a lot of times I'd use these little gnarled like small cedar trees and one end of them. Like if you find the right small, the right size of small one, you can kind of break it at the right point if it's like a super curvy one and then uh the the root ball on the, on the end will give you a good part to like tie one of the strings and then hopefully you can like get a clean break on the other end so you don't like split the wood too much when you yeah. get a nice like tension on it and i had this one that was just like perfect i just like i made one of my buddies like my age like cry with it one time when i, I hit him. what were like, you shooting them with? Yards. like
0: actual arrows the foam
1: the little foam things that i would throw as spears i would get like the really straight ones and break them in half and then just use it, make a little like notch, so I could like arrow. Air <laughs> so you were so like a survivalist, right? And they, like, and they right were like kind of ripped my left hand up as they came off, because they had, they had like little ridges. Oh every, my god! Like little ridges where like the thing stopped and grew like another little branch, you know? Yeah. Every time, so, like oh my god! But like you find the right one, and they were they were fun. <laughs> so you you were a spunky little kid. You were like getting after it, like yeah, I, making I, your own bow and arrow. And one of my elementary fr- friends who was from. Uh, I think Korea he taught me how to do like a little bird noise so I would like turn with them I don't know if I should do it on the mic or Yeah not dude, much. try let me I want to hear your bird noise And so I would, like, I would be hiding in areas, and I would do one, and then I would, like, move 20, 30 feet, and then, like, do another one, and I would just, like, <laughs> mess with my brothers late at night when they'd be, like, jumping on the trampoline or something, and I'd be out, out in the back. Like that sounds like a one. blissful <laughs> time in life, man. Yeah, that's... absolutely, definitely.
0: So you're, were your brothers all competitive? Like, I know you're competitive now. Like, we, we, I've known you for, you know, little little bit of time now mm-hmm. and spent some time with you and golfed with you a little bit, but you're competitive. You're straight up, like, that's who you are. Was that molded by, like... I think I feel rivalry. like my
1: I feel like my little brother's like picked up the super competitiveness before I did. Like having the older sister and like kind of like taking a submissive role to her. I I was kind of like a gentle gentle kid, and it wasn't until like my brother started getting competitive where I was like, okay, like I can't let them beat me. Like no way. So yeah, I'm that, the big that's brother. Where that kind of like I see started for me. So I feel like they kind of picked up the super competitiveness before I did, and then I kind of like. Later, later in my childhood, did your pride kind of stepped in and you're like, no, I can't. Yeah, It's like, no, these guys can't.
0: What was so sports you said happened early on in your life? Like, what what was the first one that you latched onto and like started taking seriously? Because you're you are a very serious person. Like, I know you was very laid back, but like I know you take the things that you do, any anything really, you you take it pretty seriously. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, our sister was big into soccer, so our mom would put us in soccer. That that one, like. I played it for probably six years or so, but I never really, like, had a passion for soccer. It just wasn't quite my thing. I don't know. And then we did, like, swimming as well for a little bit. And, like, I, I feel like I had a really good body to be good at that. But And I would usually kill and compete well in the freestyle, but I didn't put like, enough thought or effort into the other strokes, which took, like, a little more learning. And Yeah. And uh, you can't just, like, power through those strokes as much as, like, you have to have the technique. So it wasn't really until I found basketball... In, like, early middle school days, like, maybe fifth grade is the first time I started shooting around with, with my buddies at, at recess or whatnot. Yeah, that was kind of the first one that I really started to fall in love with. By, like, sixth grade, it was like, okay, like, this is a sport that I think I want to, like, try to get after. Were you, like, a late bloomer, like, height-wise? You're, like, tall now.
0: Like, were you were you tall early or, like—
1: yeah, I was always tall, but I wasn't like a super fast grower. I kind of just really steadily grew, but I was okay. always kind of one of the taller ones in my class wherever I was.
0: Right, on. And, and and I know football is giant in Texas for like youth sports, but like in basketball in Texas, is it pretty serious? Like, do they get into the travel leagues? Like, yeah, basketball, basketball the kids? is
1: serious as well. Like, there's some like Dallas Houston area have like a lot of talent, and then really? the Austin San Antonio area also have a good a good budding group of talent that's like growing and, and definitely starting to rival that of the. Houston, Dallas, but Houston and Dallas are always producing, like, pros, big like, prospects, yeah. So then you played all
0: through school, right? Yeah, I played through high school. So then did you do, like, AAU, or, like, what? What? what is the, like, landscape like in Texas for, like, serious basketball? Did you only play in school? Yeah,
1: you'd play in school, and then as soon as school's out, you're playing summer ball, AAU ball, so.
0: Where do you feel like you learned the most about the game?
1: Definitely my high school coach. He was a little stubborn in, in my, like— Intuitive and inquisitive nature sometimes I think would make him like not like me as much as maybe he would have because I would like I knew there was like more than one way to do things and Uh I would like sometimes question the way we're doing things or like he would I don't know he would just nitpick me on certain little tiny things where I didn't feel like that needed to really be the focus so you were combative with him essentially I wasn't that but like apparently I don't know I just I was enough I guess and (laughs) caught him in the wrong stage of his career to where he just like kind of I don't know he would get, get on me for a little tiny Little tiny things, and didn't do a lot of like building me up, and I didn't have like, I didn't really have that like confidence until, I feel like later, later than high school. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so I guess for you, you. I had like a like a false confidence. I see.
0: Were you like were you solid at basketball? Like, were you looking to play in college? Like, what what exactly? I, I was
1: solid. I had all the potential to be playing right now. But I never really dreamed big enough I never really thought of like myself as the college basketball yeah. player or the NBA basketball player and I, I didn't realize until like I had lost the daily competition to where it's like okay like now I'm choosing to go compete because like I really I realized how much I love it like yeah not it doesn't feel like as much like oh like it's just something I do because I'm playing basketball and, like mm-hmm. once I lost it and like I saw my buddies who were <laughs> playing college basketball and I wasn't and like saw their skill level and like I was like like what the heck all I needed was that extra little bit of like dreaming and staying after putting in 30 minutes mm-hmm. on the handles like it doesn't take that much extra time but if you put in the extra hour hour to hour and a half every day it just makes a big difference in your confidence and uh your ability to go out and perform the next time you step on on the on the field to play or on the court or whatever i i totally feel that i
0: i played golf in high school and I look back and I'm like, wow, I wasted so many free range ses- sessions, like so many free rounds of 18 holes that I could have had. Like I wasted so much time, but it's like when you're in high school, sometimes yeah. you have the fire and sometimes your head is elsewhere. Like I understand that completely. Cause lo- looking back, like I regret going hardcore into golf. Cause what a sick job, you know, pro golf is, you know, we're doing pro disc golf and it's pretty sweet, but yeah. imagine that with millions, you know, yeah. but uh, man, I, I, I guess my, Question for you, like backing up, and as we move, I, before we move forward, where was your head at, like when you were moving through school? of basketball was kind of like this thing you like to do, and like,
1: yeah, it was definitely like, like it, I, I treated it like my life, and it was. But then like, mm. just the fact that I guess I didn't like chase that dream or like push myself, I just kind of like was like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I dedicated myself to it. But like instead of working on my skills, I would go. And play pickup. Yeah. And I'd be trying to dunk on somebody and like, you know, I'm trying to, because I I used to love dunking and like one of my biggest things was like getting people to like have a very surprised face after seeing me dunk. Like, whoa, I didn't expect that guy to be able to dunk like that. So I had like this kind of like prideful obsession with trying to, you know, dunk on someone or just kind of do something like that. And didn't really just, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't work smart. You know, I like, Mm -hmm. I practiced, I practiced hard. I practiced a lot. I played a lot of, a lot of games and stuff, but I didn't have like the right regimen
0: you weren't like grinding finishing packages and like all this this stuff that you need to rep over and over and over again to get to the next level i was just
1: kind of out there like frustrated that i wasn't doing more and my high school coach was kind of like putting me in this box box like trying to make me play power forward when i had skills to do uh, like pretty much any other position um but then also just like not like putting in the work to be like you know what i'm gonna show them wrong and i'm gonna like Come out here and like make him have to make me play another position. Yeah, he was seeing that you like did, maybe didn't have the discipline that he wanted to see. Exactly, and I think that was probably the biggest budding point for us. I think he saw my potential, and then like because he put me on varsity as a sophomore, which rarely happened at my high school. It's like kind of like a, a big honor to do that. And then like I felt like he, I felt like he kind of like made me a robot, where really mm-hmm. I think he just wanted me to me wanted me to want it more and be more disciplined. And I think then he would have probably like put his hand out for me a little more. But uh, I think he was just disappointed, and I was uh, he probably just thought I was like an entitled kid who just, you know, who of course who didn't who didn't want it, and this another another kid. So I think just a little some little minor differences there, and I, and I probably am not sitting here right now. But
0: I mean, I, I I completely understand that, and it's just like a timing thing. Like like some people when they go to college at age eighteen, like they're not mentally there; they're not ready for another four years of education. But some people hit college at 18 and they're like oh yeah I'm gonna be a doctor and I'm just gonna go boop boop boop, boop. and it's like no problem but then there's some that have like yeah. an existential crisis of like I'm not ready for this so I I get it man and it's like you can't really you know at, at least you understand for sure and like at least you can look back and be like yeah you know it was it was almost and like there. I
1: said yeah come like and you know it's like with the recent success in disc golf and like just finding this game that I'm like so passionate about now I feel like you know it's almost like it's it almost gave me like a cheat sheet of motivation and like it gave me like a a, a blueprint to like really go like okay like you already messed up one thing like you're not gonna mess this one up because you know what you need to do in order to make yourself the best you can be
0: exactly and getting into like you finding disc golf I want to just crest like the end of like that high school age and I I I think it's it's so defining for a, a human being like where where were you planning on on going after you know age of 18 did your parents expect you to go to college like did you expect to go into the workforce like what 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 were you thinking at that time like everybody's starting to make these next decisions
1: yeah i mean i was all all the kids in my family were expected to go to college and um with the help of our grandfather were, we're able to do that without having to take on student loans So it was kind of like a no-brainer like mm-hmm. you're gonna do that um but for me, like I had, I didn't have like that drive for any one thing in life. I was so unsure, like what I wanted to do. I had no clue. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll teach and coach basketball or like, I don't know. So I ended up getting business management degree when I was in college and, uh, just kind of floated through college, played like tons of basketball. And I was like, <laughs> I got super dead. competitive. I got like, I got way better than I ever was in high school. And I was like dominating people and pickup, and like really? dropping 40 in leagues and like just killing people. And, uh. I just got to the point where I could like the game just slowed down for me because once I realized like it's all just like a mind game and like mm-hmm. if you slow your brain down then it's like you can, you can really make a, and in, in, in any sport if you slow your brain down then it's like super helpful. There's so, always
0: like, another level to it.
1: Yeah, but just so I kind of like you know, did college just because I was kind of expected to and like I knew like it would be helpful for me like whatever I wanted to do to like have that degree just because like the way people look at, people look at that from the outside they they value that. They um, love the piece of paper. Yeah, they love that paper. <laughs> they sure. love the business management doesn't degree that doesn't have measure. much substance yeah.
0: to it, <laughs> yeah. but if an employer sees it, oh, man,
1: yeah. he did something. See, so, yeah, I kind of just did the cookie cutter, you know, this is what I feel like I'm expected to do, and yeah. just kind of floating through, and started doing some volunteer coaching in basketball, and I really enjoyed, like, instilling confidence in, in young kids, and, like, and as well as teaching, like, the techniques of the game, but, like, really just, like, being a positive, like, role model and influence on others and, like, seeing, like, the way they start believing in themselves more just because of some things I've said to them and uh, kind of, like, feeling like I was kind of, like, paying back my childhood of, like, not, like, having quite, exactly. like, someone to really, like, put that in my head, you know, and, like, trying to go out there and put it in some other kid's head. So that was, like, really rewarding for me. And yes, I did dude. that for a couple of years, and I was enjoying it. Ended up going, when I went back to Austin after college, I found a private high school up there, and I coached, a season for them and like it was super fulfilling and i really enjoyed it but then like that's like right around when i found disc golf oh and, boy uh, it always <laughs>
0: happens at the worst time i understand <laughs> and then you're screwed because now you're sucked in forever
1: yeah well, and talk mean, to me about that so the at crossroads. first it was kind of just like you know i'm gonna try it out my brothers had played a couple times back when we were in high school um but i always kind of was like oh why are not y'all over here playing pickup pick up with me like even though I wasn't actually that serious about the basketball. So, like, I, I crack up myself, like, in hindsight, like, oh, you're being hypocritical. But, yeah, I was just like, oh, you know, I'll give it a try. So I went out with my brother and just uh, gave it a try. And, like, I, I was always, like, the best thrower in my family as well as, like, usually in my peer group in terms of, like, distance as well as accuracy. Yeah. Just throwing, like, anything over the years. and I uh, was kind of... A- anything? Hard. Yeah. Bricks, rocks. Snowballs, snowballs. Plastic knives. Like, my brothers always like, why, like... Why are you gonna say you didn't expect to hit me in the face? Like, you do it every time. It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty incredible. <laughs> Can't stop me. Like, sorry, I just thought there might be a chance I didn't and it would hit you somewhere else and it'd be funny. And like,
0: <laughs> the classic
1: aim for the tree, hit the tree. Yeah. Yeah, that happened once last weekend.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> and, anywho, uh, I mean, it, it's a funny crossroads because, yeah, you, you said you found this extremely fulfilling thing and then you tried a recreational sport, but then like, and you're like passionate about basketball right now. Yeah. What like what was that feeling? What happened?
1: The thing for me was like I loved the coaching and I loved what it like how it made me feel and like the impact I was having on others but like I wasn't at the end of the day fully in control of what was happening and like in my brain just like finding this thing like disc golf where I was like just within the first couple months like i didn't think you know i was going to leave basketball for it. i didn't have any of those thoughts like mm-hmm. but within the process of getting better and seeing like okay wait i've gone from plus 30 from the shorts to plus 15 already in a couple months like wait i can keep going at this rate right and just like always go at that rate you were rate a score be... guy right away mm-hmm. always score yeah. always score cuz i was trying to beat my brother at first and he Killed me the first time he played, and like I said, he had never thrown anything better than me in my life. And I was like, "There's <laughs> no way he just beat me by that much.
0: Hard-boiled <laughs> eggs,
1: shoes, <laughs> <laughs> everything. So yeah, that was like, and then like finding that and being like, "Wait, I regret not pursuing basketball professionally." Because at this point, um, my brother Liam is playing. He's late into his college career at this point. And I know he's gonna he's gonna play somewhere professionally, wh- like wherever it is around the like kinda, overseas, the, yeah, or okay. wherever it is. Like I know he's gonna he's gonna pursue that and play that and uh, that's like inspiring to me so i'm just like you know what i want to do the same thing with disc golf and like mm-hmm. it's like i it kind of just ha- it, it fulfilled that competitive fire in me i was like okay like i get to be the one competing like i'm the only one responsible for my my mistakes as well whereas like coming from team sports my whole life it's like sometimes it's easy to feel like you know your other teammates aren't going hard enough and like you feel you can kind of like frustrating. feel like a victim in terms of that but like in disc golf it was so liberating to know that it's me like if I have to point the finger in any direction, it's literally in the mirror because I'm the one controlling how much time I'm spending putting or whether I'm looking at my form to see if there's anything I can clean up in it or all these things, whether I'm studying other players and what they do well and, like, if their head's face down the mm-hmm. gap when they're throwing a backhand and like, all these little things that, like, go into being a d- good disc golfer.
0: And and that's probably the same analytical eye that you have for basketball, just getting translated into a solo sport, and that's that's addicting. Like, that constant improvement is like especially with technique like how did that go for you I'm fascinated by like the progress of like players that get good fast it's always I, different
1: I, man I wish I had video of like the first time I played because I want to like I know it was really bad I was throwing you know like distance driver hyzers to t- 180 maybe like mm-hmm. I don't even just know just chucking it was, them like, straight up in the air straight hyzers and yeah. then like probably doing some kind of throw putt style I don't even know but I have some video of me from like even a couple years ago and it's like I'm stabbing the disc out before I run up. Yeah. Kind of pulling it high across my neck and like, just like rounding it around my body and like all doing all <laughs> Classic. the Everybody like,
0: seems to somehow go to pointing. that. It's yeah.
1: Like, yeah. It's like once I started kind of playing tournaments is when I really started looking at some of the form breakdown, realizing that, okay, like getting good technique helps to where obviously like with the mental, like you're always going to have times where you're feeling nervous and, Or your brain's maybe a little more cluttered than you want it to be, but like if you can I realize like with a sport like this, if you can build the technique to kind of muscle memory and and be clean enough to play through some of that at times, like it's gonna shave you strokes over the course of a tournament for sure.
0: It doesn't fix it doesn't fix you, but it gives you that blank slate to then paint whatever picture you want because some some form is very limiting Mm -hmm. and like some bad habits are very limiting and prevent you from throwing a shot that you need to throw coming down the stretch of a tournament. And that's why you see a lot of really well-rounded players win a world championship or any kind of major for that matter.
1: Yeah. And for me being coming into the game, the time I did, it was like, luckily I didn't have a ton of habits because I had only been playing for a couple of years, like a year before I started really like trying to break down my form. And, um, at that time there's so much YouTube information and Mm -hmm. so many good videos on like, whereas like even five years before I came into the game, like you could probably still find a couple of videos, but they were some old kind of outdated ones. And like, there's only a couple of ways of hearing things. Whereas now like you can listen to a lot of different players and sometimes it just takes that one person for it to really click for you. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's some of Simon's form breakdown videos it really did did a number for He's me great. in terms of my rounding. I think, uh, he helped me think about just the linear pullback that, that avoids coming back through the body. And like the way he just like, he was also the reason that I eliminated the stab before. Cause I kind of did the stab it was like, I saw Macbeth kind of kicking his elbow out, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of like the rhythm of that of that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like seeing Simon and how clean and simple he was, and how much spin he generated on the disc, it just it just felt like that was something to kind of try to emulate. So
0: that's who inspired you for the most part, like Simon. He was
1: big. Paul was also also big too in terms of his body control and his consistency. And he's like he's been cleaning up his form even since I've been playing. Yeah. Um, like the I said, getting no rid, getting rid of the uh, the kick and realizing that just being simple is. Uh, is good. So, yeah, Paul was big. Ricky was big just because, like, I felt like body shape-wise we were very similar. Mm-hmm. And I saw the way he was at the time throwing a lot of sidearm, a lot more than he does Tons today of even. sidearm. So he was throwing sidearm and backhand. And, like, and then I know his eagle, and it's like he has that dominant year where I'm like, okay, this is the future of the game. Like, he's throwing hard hyzers both ways where he's almost always on a course going to be able to throw a hyzer release shot. Unless you give him some really challenging design, but for the most part, a lot of courses are gonna be throwing majority off the tee on a hyzer either sidearm or backhand spin, and uh, it seemed like that was just a way to be able to mitigate mm-hmm. wind and like keep your bogeys away on certain holes. And it's it just closer to like... your
0: body, and like you, can, if you need to flip one, you can flip it flat. If you need to hold the hyzer, you hold the hyzer. Like, and then yeah, the moment it flips over or it needs to flip over, he just switches to sidearm. Yeah. So I understand that that and that right now. You're right. You hit the nail on the head. That's like looking like the future. And like your sidearm is fantastic. Like I have, I love your sidearm. It's a similar trajectory to what I like to throw, like the Pretty low, low. Yeah. low kind of bullet with a little drift, like mid flight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where did that come from? Was that your initial, you said 180 Heiser backhands. Like where did the sidearm come in?
1: Yeah. So I was predominantly backhand at first because my sidearm, I didn't know how to grip the disc. So it would come out really bad like the first while. So I didn't really throw much sidearm until like, I started playing tournaments and realized that, like, okay, I kind of need to be able to throw at the minimum upshots both ways to mm-hmm. fight crosswinds and whatnot when I'm approaching baskets. So I think it came from seeing other tournament players even in, I think I played my first couple of tournaments in intermediate, but even just playing that, like, seeing seeing players throw a little bit of both ways and, like, knowing I wanted to quickly move up to advanced, I, I knew that I would need both skills. So I started working on sidearm, and it took me probably, like, Three to six months before I started like really using it in some tournaments, and then uh, at the time I kind of was holding the disc with like the side of my middle finger uh-huh. into the rim, and I was getting good accuracy, and it got pretty good out to like 3:30. But I kind of had like a cap in distance I felt like, and it kind of just like that was where my distance was like 3:30, and then I kind of rotated the pad of my finger into the disc.
0: Oh, so that's how you hold it. You you do like a yeah, like a I, stack grip, but you so like yeah, rotate rotate, a I rotate bit.
1: the pad into the rim there, and then like kind of stack my finger on other finger on top.
0: So your palm is pretty much facing the target when you're throwing. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Okay. Interesting. Like so, you're not doing the, like the claw grip like like Sexton nope. does, but nope. you're. It's like a hybrid.
1: Yeah, I like that. And then uh, then yeah, so that that added some distance as well, and then I also like footwork wise started adding a little little bit of hop and momentum gain. Kind of watching, like you said, watching Sexton. And the way he threw sidearms and generated power, amazing. Um, so I kind of used a little bit of that hop. Mine's not as not as noticeable as sections, but I, I use a little bit of that kind of gallop and hop. Yeah, and you have a gallop. Power. That's what you do. Yeah.
0: I like that. Interesting. I mean, I I'm very fascinated though by like you said. I'm working on these things early on in the game. Like, and and I'll get to the point where I because I still don't know the the middle pe- period where you're like yes i will now make this my career and i will <laughs> begin saving money that's not normal you know no, like the whole point of the po- po- yeah the whole point of the podcast is explaining that like it's doable like but it it's a unique path but um how did you work on this were you just grinding reps in the field were you playing practice I rounds i was playing
1: scored rounds for the most part i rarely i didn't do a lot of field work um, I would kind of just video my form here and there on a couple of tee shots during my practice rounds, but I loved scored rounds because I was always playing with other people for the most part when I first started. It wasn't until, like, I really started getting serious that I was starting to play, like, my solo practice mm-hmm. rounds. Um, and then I would still, like, video myself and stuff. Yeah, I feel like... Um, so just scored rounds, huh? Yeah, scored rounds was was, like... At my majority of like my, my work coming up, and then huh. and then like putting practice also, and then like early on, putting practice was just simply just repping from the same spot. Yeah, reps ladders where you'd start at ten feet and make three putters. You move back to fifteen, you make two, you stay at the same station, make one, you move forward to station, and kind of trying to like get back as far as you can. That was one I think I learned from Sexton. I think I saw him recommend that one. So you grinded videos too. You watched a lot of videos, like yeah, I watched pretty much all pretty much all the video, most of the videos that were out like at the time for me, and that was like right before the huge boom of media that we've had now. Towards like if you try to watch all the videos, like you're gonna spend all day. You're gonna spend
0: all day, and you're gonna get into some awful habits. <laughs> you're gonna like find some a quick tip to fix yeah. all you know be all end all. And you'll get nowhere because it's like polishing a turd. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> but I mean, no, but but the, the best thing is about disc golf right now is there is a lot of, there are a lot of people that are so passionate about trying to figure the game out. Mm-hmm. So that is really cool. But yes, it's hard to know what to, what to get into. But now I need you to answer the question that like, is the reason for the podcast is like these middle, you know, these middle, uh, Phases of your life post-college you get your business management degree you find disc golf as you're coaching basketball where does the like where does the i'm gonna tour thing come in and then how did you find out that it was a viable career option and then like where did your life begin to mold? like how did it mold around that goal i
1: don't know i feel like pretty early on in it i just like with with my brother like starting to pursue professional sports to like I really started to have that that passion to do it and I was like you know what like this is the thing I'm spending time on right now it's like I want to make it happen I think it, it the real like thought of like I'm gonna actually like make this my job was probably like towards the end of when I was playing advanced and I was like all right I think I'm gonna move up to open now and um played my first two open events and I was still like I thought I was taking the game serious and I and I was taking it more serious than some people Um, on the local level, amateur level and stuff like, but like, even if I'm taking it more serious and people on the local level, like you don't realize that if you get out on the, on the circuit, like that's, that's not really going to be much depending on where you are. So I played those first two open events and first one, I think I got, I think I beat one person in the field, like second to last. And then the second one, I'm pretty sure. The only people I beat didn't show up to the final round because it was terrible condition. <laughs> terrible conditions. Hey, you outlasted. <laughs> Let's go. So I had the Willpower, at least. But um, I uh, I had a moment during the second round of that tournament where I like, I was thinking about throwing the round to drop off my rating.
0: Oh, pres- one of those to early preserve on?
1: my nine seventeen rating or whatever the heck it was at the Whoa. time. Like something, something abysmal. Like yeah, what so a life lesson when I first when I first signed up for the PDGA... I left one of the two tournaments that I played out of it because I, I my average would have been like 890-something. Oh, my gosh. So I you... left one of them out, so I would be 915 <laughs> rated. So I was slightly artificially inflated by maybe like a stroke or two to start. And then <laughs> <laughs> PDGA would like to know your location.
0: <laughs> I'm going to add it to my rating right now. That's... Oh, oh wow. So I didn't even know you could do that because when I joined, like I don't even think – because I played a lot of tournaments when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I wasn't a PDGA member. I didn't even know you could add on.
1: Yeah, because I guess when you, like, I played my first two without a membership, not knowing, like, okay, you know, how, I don't know how many tournaments I'm actually going to play. And then I yeah. played the first two and was like, okay, I'm definitely going to play more than five a year. So it's, Gotta worth, the it's, worth, it's worth the Got to get worth the discount.
0: It's worth the discount at the
1: least.
0: Everyone kind of goes about this differently. Like, Yuli is a funny, funny example of someone who's like, I'm going to go professional and I'm going to tour the country. How much money do I have? Let me check. Hmm, not much. <laughs> Let's go. And then there's some, like, I would say, like, myself is on the other end of the spectrum. I saved, you know, $25,000, you know, to to go on tour. I I Mm -hmm. saved for three, four years to, like, get this going. Like, I planned it. Yeah. Where do you fall in the middle of that? And, like, what was your life like when you set your mind to becoming as good as you can at
1: this game? Yeah, right, right around the time that I switched to open, I think actually a couple months before that, I stopped coaching. I realized, like, this is taking more of my time than I than I like, and disc golf is starting to take up another chunk of my time, so now I'm just, like, kind of spreading myself thin amongst the both, feeling like I'm kind of losing losing my burn for the coaching a little bit, and uh, so I, fi- I found, uh, like, a bridge job, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna start saving money so that I can head out, so when I decide to, like, make this my thing, or when I fully commit to it, because um, I was starting to have the crazy dream at that point, it's like, and and everyone around me is probably like it's still so fledgling that no one really understands it, you know. It's like it's hard to share no it with truly, some people. Yeah, it's like I. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm gonna work this job and start saving up money so that when I do do it, like I have my little safety net in case I, in case I fail, and so I don't feel like feel like I'm totally like a failure. So you I hate looking down that.
0: a 15 foot putt, and you're like, oh, I need this putt so bad to eat food. Like you, that sucks.
1: Yeah. So so I work the bridge job and kind of. Started trying to save money and was was waking up before work, putting in some work, waking up after work, putting in some work. And but, l- back to that back to that uh, second open tournament, the yeah. second round, I thought about, I was trying to throw it. Uh, I, I was having the thought. Like, I kept, every time I stepped up to a green, this course had a lot of, like, creeks and, and ponds just behind the greens. In. I was like, oh, just put it into the water. No one even knows. Like, whatever. And just take your stroke and drop it off your rating. Preserve your 917. Like...
0: <laughs> oh my and, uh, gosh and
1: uh, after the round like I got back in the car and like I th- I, I kind of broke down and like started crying to myself and I was just like it was like a low point of like I'm over here telling all my friends and everyone I play with that I, I want to make this my job and like I want to be the best player in Austin and then I want to go to Texas and then on to the United States and like be the best player in the world and then I'm cheating over yourself. here like selling myself short and not trying to not give myself opportunities to make a shot just because I want to preserve this average that doesn't even reflect what my abilities are. Yeah, it would are. be lying to yourself essentially, yeah. And so that I think that like was a pretty pretty low moment, and following that tournament you know, I had like a month before my next B tier, and it was a pretty decent B tier. I had like a handful of players that were right around the thousand mark, like upper 990s and stuff. Lance Brown was there and a couple of decent Austin players but that whole month before that like, that was the first month where I really feel like that was a uh, was that? Beginning of 2018 or nineteen? Beginning of 2018, It's I think. wild how,
0: like, it's not that long ago. Yeah.
1: And and that was, like, the first month where I really started to put in the time. I would wake up before work, get some putts up, or maybe go run some hill sprints or do something for my body, whether it's stretch and do a little circuit workout. Um, just so, like, when I got to work, you know, I felt like I already, like, kind of accomplished something towards my disc golf goal, and then afterwards go to the course and just play until it was dark, pretty much. And just kind of rinse and repeat that, and I ended up not only getting my first cash at the B tier, but getting a win. Oh, tight. And uh, I was a 937 rated player at the time and beat a bunch of, like, 990 rated players. And, I mean, looking back on, like, the stroke I had, like, I had a decent, like, my forehand was coming along. My backhand was getting better. But I just had confidence, and, like, Mm -hmm. I knew I was outworking everybody over that last month. Like, I was for sure that I worked harder than anybody at that whole tournament. And that was just like, such a such a big thing for my for my brain, and that gave me that confidence on the putting green. So I putted pretty well that whole weekend, from circle one and two. And that was kind of at the time where I was really dead copying Ricky's putt. and like, I didn't quite have the nose angle and the in the pace he had, but like
0: his nose angle is like hard to replicate.
1: Yeah, but I was like close to it, and maybe had a hint more hyzer, but I, I was nose down, a little bit of hyzer, and having that low swing that was coming down below my legs, and um. See, so, yeah, I think the hard work just is what kind of gave me that confidence there. And then it was just like, then that was the moment that really started igniting me like, okay, like I can actually do this. Like I'm 937 rated, but I just shot for a whole weekend like 10 strokes above what they think I can do. And I knew, I knew like from that moment on that I was like, I was going to spend some time every day, like pretty much for the rest of like mm-hmm. my prime trying to get better at disc golf and. Uh yeah, I spent those next like two seasons kind of honing my skills in Texas and we have a really good competitive scene in Texas. We've got some good players from from the Dallas area, uh Emerson being one of them back when he's back home and not touring. And we got a number of other good players up there. Um obviously in Austin we got Bradley there and we got we got, so we got some players. other good players in Austin. Uh Perkins is from there. He doesn't do a ton of playing there, but in the off season he does and we got a we got a handful of thousand rated Tim Escobedo Jr. Mike Lydala Marshall Blank so we have we have some a number of players who can who can compete really well in the local scene there and uh, Mason Ford moved down to down to San Antonio oh, there tight. so he would always be at all the tournaments and so it was a good good solid group to kind of hone the skills against and uh, I think you know I was I was doing it I was working hard and like building my confidence locally but I knew it was still you know gonna take a little time to get good enough to beat all the best players in the world and then uh last year is when I had my first wins against Bradley head to head dude he is and that amazing. was yeah he's a, he's an incredible player and like super super sound technique and um just like a just a fierce competitor and those wins against him i think i think the first two times that we ever faced actually yeah. The first two times we really battled it out where it was like me, going to be me and him. Like that we knew it, like I got him. And for the, for me that was like, Whoa, like I didn't fumble. I didn't have like a, that fumble moment of like, okay, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm right here. Like I okay, really got the juices flowing. And, um, one of them actually, I came back three strokes down off the lead in the final round and pushed a playoff Whoa, with the course record at this, at this one course, in the Nacogdoches open and, uh, we went to a, it this first, my first time I'd ever had a playoff, never had a playoff in amateur, never had a, I had one advanced win in amateur, um, before I moved up. So I never had a playoff. Um, it was my first time in a playoff and I'm against Bradley Williams, the guy who I've kind of have a target on the back of like, okay, this is the best player in Austin. Like this is the player I want to beat and the player that I want to get my skills up, up to par with. And so going into that playoff it's like, you know, a ton of nerves, but this is one of those like, okay, like I know this is like a career building moment where mm-hmm. like if I can get this win, like Bradley can play with anybody in the world when he's playing well. So I know like okay, if I can beat Brad when he's when he's playing solid, like I can I can play with like the touring guys. And uh yeah, I went six holes and on the third hole I had the box the whole time with my hot round and um I shanked it off into the woods. It's kind of this par par three, tough to get, like four hundred feet kind of valleys down and then back up and there's a low ceiling and it's a tight little line it's kind of like a it's a bit of a you just spray it hard and hope you slide up their hole um and brad kind of cuts it down the middle and doesn't get a ton of distance but i know he's taking a par at worst and for me it's like okay i have to throw an amazing scramble shot even to have a 60 footer and i end up like 55 feet or so down right of this hill and i have like a I have a tree right in front of me in the basket and I'm probably 10 feet below the basket, 50 ish feet away. I, tough. And there's maybe a Heiser gap, maybe an Anheuser gap. I grab my understable putter and jam an Anheuser putt in a moment where everyone probably thought like it was over and they were all like, everyone was so excited to see me possibly win and compete. And like, I'm the, you know, I'm the new face and a lot of people uh, love to see my work ethic and like just how, how serious I took the game mm-hmm. and, Made a lot of made a lot of local fans before that moment, and that's then, awesome. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, just push it seven holes or six holes, and and then get the win. It was just like, I had like, as soon as I tapped in that final putt, I had so much adrenaline that like my ears were ringing, and, like a bomb went off, and like they were announcing like the winner and they're cheering, and I could like barely hear them. They were like, it sounded like they were like hun- like a hundred plus so feet away because I was just like so fired up. Like you don't even understand the level of like focus and adrenaline I had going. It's like it was like I was on drugs or something. I feel Whoa. like I felt some of that last weekend as well, but um, yeah, just it was—it was that moment where I was like, okay, like I'm committed, like this is I'm gonna make this work. Like
0: Brad's won huge tournaments; he's won here at Maple he was Hill. He's the
1: first disc golf pro tour winner.
0: Yeah, he's—I mean, he's one of the most technical players of all time. Like he—he he boggles my mind. Yeah, like, like he's someone to look up to. Like. Maybe not someone that you need to have the technicality of. Like, I think that just comes with his, like playing as long as he does. But yeah, the execution is just... It's hard to get to that level of competency. And it's like, you see this game from a new lens because you're newer to the game. You you started with all of the video content that you're able to study. Like, I I think it's it's indicative of, of what's to come in the game in general. Like, we see Gannon Burr coming out here, and he's... 17 or 16, and yeah. yeah, he he just studies, studies, and his studies. body
1: doesn't even know how to move yet. And he's he's yeah, he's like
0: a deer, he's like a baby <laughs> deer, a... you know. But
1: he's, I mean, he's getting tall, and he's nah, like Gannon's a very talented player. I love playing with the Gannon, and I'm really excited to see how he develops. Yeah, I'm
0: excited to see how so many like players that yeah. are getting into this game. Cole
1: Riddlein is another player, was amazing. I'm pretty
0: blown away by I just commentated on him at Northwoods and was like shocked at all of these, like direct forward spinny hyzer flips that are pan, like panning to flat and then hitting like 400 like that's the shot that takes you the farthest I feel like in disc golf and it took you the farthest at Delaware I had commentated on on your 11 under and I was like he's gonna take the explorer out and he's gonna jam it on like a you know 30 degree hyzer and it's gonna go dead straight and it's gonna land soft and he's just gonna have an easy time
1: yeah that was uh kind of special I think for me just to like see how a lot of my competitors especially like Rick coming down the stretch are throwing distance drivers all these holes and yeah I'm sacrificing 70 50 sometimes 100 feet on some of these drives but I'm landing the disc softly and I'm flying a dead rope or close to it on that 400 plus line to where my danger is now and my stress is now minimized compared to a lot of the players who are kind of skipping off 12 feet to the left mm-hmm. or using a little too much to the fairway to the right catching a tree kicking over right a little bit it's and a stressful course yeah i think i think yeah throwing those rope lines at the fairway and like you said i'm a player that a lot of people used to think of as a as a sidearm player i think and uh just because i i feel like i always kind of felt like i was balanced but my you sidearm, lean a def- lot on the sidearm i definitely leaned on it and and do still lean on it a lot but I've really, like, as the season's gone on, and towards the end of last year, I really started trying to hone in my backhand upshots, and I think that's kind of what started it for me with really the trust in the backhand, like learning the touch backhand and the little spin up upshot, and then kind of extending that out into the range. And mm-hmm. now I feel like mechanically I can set myself up in a gap really well, and if I just am smooth and let my stroke work, I feel like the disc is gonna is going to usually be on a pretty small variation of straight
0: in that, that is that what you're probably gonna like base the next few years on is that that theory like in in your head
1: yeah, I mean, I feel like i'm I'm the type of player who I'm always gonna try to keep getting better at the things that I'm struggling to score on, um especially with how well rounded our field is nowadays and how many yeah. different courses we play but uh the more we play in the woods, I feel like the more like my mechanics and my setup on the box and just my my methodical nature like sets me up for success, I feel like in the woods pretty well. Especially with my ability to club down and try to play what might seem less aggressive to some players, but also I feel like still gives me just as much of a chance to score on a lot of opportunities. Definitely,
0: yeah. I I mean, I think the four hundred foot flip up to flat fairway driver is scalable anywhere, and four hundred is a long way. Like I I feel like the internet kind of like down tempos or like uh, downplays the four hundred foot shot.
1: Four yeah. hundred's far, man. Like, For sure, especially and- when a lot of these holes are you know. Par four at 750 feet. Like you throw it 420 feet, and then, I mean, you you only have 280, 300 into the green or whatever, or whatever that is. And it's like, it's still very manageable. But you can mitigate risks, which I feel like is the biggest thing in golf to reduce stress. Is like if you can keep a bogey free round, you're gonna give yourself opportunities, especially if you're a player who's like made it to the top level.
0: Yeah, I, I. I fully agree with you. And I, I love the way you're already seeing the game from like like a fresh lens. And you're seeing it, and I think it's totally to your benefit, you're seeing it from a scoring standpoint. Like you're seeing the golf side of disc golf. And there's a lot of people in, in disc golf that see the disc, and and the golf is like something they don't think as much about, but they just love the disc. You and know? that and
1: that was me early on because I yeah. just want to, like, just like with dunking and basketball, I was like, I want to show people how hard I throw. I throw harder than anyone right. in the area. And like... So that, for me, it was like mm-hmm. trying to show people what I could do. Like that was my game for a long time, even when I started in the open for yeah. a while. but It wasn't until like, I feel like last year or maybe like a year and a half at the most ago where I started realizing that like, oh, I don't have to park everything. I don't have mm-hmm. to make everything look perfect. Like sometimes it's opportunities. just avoiding the dangerous traps on certain holes and some of the some of the kind of baited the baited greens that maybe you shouldn't be super aggressive mm-hmm. on. It's like... Going to save me a handful of strokes in a given round. You go on tour, and
0: you hit the road finally after all these like you know years saving money, and it's still not that long after you picked up disc golf. But over these years, this is your second year on tour. You this said? is my first year on tour. First full year on yeah, tour. Yeah, last
1: year I played three out of state tournaments. I think. Okay, I went out to no four. I I played. I went out for a small stretch in the summer and played. We played Music City together. I played, yeah. I went out and played Mid America at Harmony Benz, but it was flooded. So that one was kinda like oh, no. it was a weird, like weird situation, but that course is amazing and I and I hope to get back out there soon. And then I played on my way back, I did like a little two week road trip. On my way back I played a tournament in Oklahoma and uh you know, I went out to I think Mid America had USDGC spots or something and so that's what I was kinda searching for. Um missed that opportunity and then i saw music city as one of the last two usdgc spots available and at this time i'm like really starting to like favor disc golf over work and like work i'm kind of just doing you know because i have to but like my passion's like really deep into disc golf at this point i was like all right i'm gonna go to music city my mom said she would fly us out there because she wanted to see a tournament for her first time and so went out there with her and my stepdad and uh Ended up playing pretty well and landing on the lead card for the final round. My first time ever being on camera. You played great, dude. Yeah, my first time being on camera was there. And uh, first time on a lead card at an A tier. And I played pretty steady in the final round. I think I went like bogey-free five down, so I didn't do anything amazing. But I I held it together pretty well for the first time on camera. And uh, was able to secure, I think, the fourth USDGC spot that was Mm -hmm. offered there. And so I got my first bid out to USDGC and was able to go there and... Really, I mean, that, that tournament was big for me, too, just to, like, be in that, elu- that elusive and elite group of, like, okay, these guys are the best of the best, and, like, I'm here. And I only played two qualifiers last year. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't play great there, but, like, it's just another little notch on that on that hat, that, another little feather in the hat where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, like, I'm doing this. I'm I'm building the confidence. Like, I'm here for a reason in my, in my pursuit of getting a little better each day. If I keep it up, it's, it's going to take me places.
0: Yeah, and I've seen it. Like, I see you... I like people that care deeply about what they do and that's like one of the most like treasured traits in people I associate with and I've I've watched you over over this past year continuously and persistently put the time into what you care about and my favorite question to ask because I I've learned so much playing this game for a living you know i've learned so much about myself because you have the time to finally reflect on yourself this game teaches you so much so about much.
1: yourself how you think the way your emotion controls you at times like
0: yeah. well your ego the, the amount that your ego controls you that you don't even realize that you know how much it actually is trying to protect you and you're just like calm down like everything's fine like i don't need you to handle anything actually like shut up <sighs> but what have you learned the most over this past year playing all the best courses in the world against all the best players in the world, except, you know, minus the Finns and and the Swedes and whatnot, um, and the players from Estonia. What have you learned from playing in the States at all the best courses?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is just to be patient and then to realize that to be myself. Because I think I came out here, I've been a player who tried to build my game off of taking things from everyone else's game, and I'm still out here thinking, like, you know, I'm watching the way James runs up and gets lots of momentum into his shot, and I'm like okay, so I think, I feel like all year I was playing with faster feet than I, I need for my stroke. Like, I think for James, it works well and he, he's amazing. Like James is a special human. Um, so I think I was like still trying to do a little too much of that being a sponge for other players instead of kind of realizing that like, okay, like I got here with my stroke and how would I start to like think about what my strengths Mm -hmm. are, what my weaknesses are and like how can I set myself up for success on the course? How do you see the game?
0: Like, you know, how do you, how do you play the game? It reminds me of like, uh, do you, do you play music by chance? I actually have never asked
1: you about this. I have early, at times in my life. I don't a I, lot. I really like to sing a lot. Um, oh, okay. I, well, I sing with my girlfriend all the time and stuff. What? And like, I, I kind of just like, I don't know What is it? whatever. Just like a lot of mix of stuff. Like
0: it reminds me of like a musician finding their sound.
1: I know I could get into music for sure. I have yeah. that type of brain where I think I would like take on to it. But I also like with my brain, I know if I take on to certain things, like You're I'm going to end up spending a lot of time yeah. on them. And it's like, ooh, I kind of avoid certain things. You got things to commit now. It. Like... Yeah, you got a job now. <laughs> yeah. Like
0: you actually have a full career. And, and But it reminds me like what you just said is like a musician who says, I keep playing like Nirvana. <laughs> I keep playing Nirvana covers on this guitar. Like what do I sound like? You know, what is my. I, and I always feel like that's a liberating thing for anybody in whatever craft that they do is when all of the studying finally pays off naturally and the way you see the game gets to finally come out. And my commentating on your fantastic round at iron hill i feel like showcased that to me because i had i had described you in the beginning of the round as like a right-handed chris clemens which i still kind of sit on that because chris has a great backhand chris has a great yeah, high he's worked on backhand. it a lot over
1: the last couple of years and he's he has full trust in it now for sure
0: yeah it's beautiful yeah. and but i'm seeing like your game is a, even a, yeah it's a little different than that and mm-hmm. i'm i'm seeing like you have a very specific angle that you like. You have a very specific stability that you like. The shapes that you like to throw, and it's finally starting to come out. And you're not—I li-
1: call it hintoheiser.
0: Hinto, yeah, just a little <laughs> hinto, yeah. That's uh, but yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. You know, that's that's probably a very liberating feeling for you.
1: Yeah, and I think, like I said, all year, kind of trying to pick, still pick things from other players' games. You know, seeing how how competitive Ricky is on the is on the course, and like trying to mimic that myself i think this weekend like truly sticking to my game plan being myself being a nice guy like enjoying watching competitors throw good shots because i love the game and i want them to do well because i want to beat them when they're doing well Mm -hmm. um so i think really sticking to my game plan this weekend even when he was applying the pressure with those fast discs and knowing that like okay this is like the plan that i have in place sticking with that kind of doing it my way and realizing that and like for that to come to fruition like when I threw that upshot mm-hmm. on sixteen, I just had I had goosebumps for the rest of that whole it was like such a crazy experience to be like, Okay, like I'm a, I wasn't trying to be anybody this weekend. All I did was set myself up well and the the biggest thing for me this weekend was I slowed my feet down and just I controlled my tempo and that I think allowed my mind to be slower and really focus on my target. Whereas when I was being a little too fast with my lower body, I think my mind was ramping up, thinking fast, trying you know, to kill thinking it. about too many things, and it's like Okay, now I'm starting to think of negative things, and uh, I feel like I had a period earlier in the season where, I, like, I was feeling robbed when players on my cards would throw mm-hmm. worse shots than me and get better results. When I'm like, okay, I'm outworking these players, and they're getting better results even though they don't deserve it. And I think I just like fully like started to realize over the last couple of weeks that it's like, no, I'm gonna sit here and root for them, and I'm, if they get a great kick, I'm gonna say that's awesome. Like, I'm glad that you got that yeah, opportunity. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, and like that's that's sweet that the course like you know handed you one. And that, and that's like, I, like, I feel like that switch in energy was huge for me too. And like, way less exhausting. Now I'm not just grinding through around, not enjoying myself. I'm like mm-hmm. out there, like, ha- trying to have fun, and like realize that like I want everyone to play well, and like I want mm-hmm. stuff to go good for everyone on the course. Because when, when I do that, then they want that for me, and it just all comes back around. Definitely, like I, that's exactly how I feel like I try
0: to see the game as well. Like celebrate the luck like set like celebrated because we've all been there like yep. those trudging rounds where you're just like oh my gosh like the kicks are all going where they're supposed to go and which sucks <laughs> you know just get just give yeah. me something yeah. some relief when i'm not throwing the best that i can throw but i I, f- I feel i feel exactly what you're telling me like i feel that coming off of you like you're not bsing me at all saying that and like that victim mindset in disc golf is terrible because I've realized also, because I used to feel the same way, mm-hmm. you can get beat by a guy with a grocery bag with two discs in it who knows that one angle of chop forehand and he'll whoop you without practicing a single day. Disc golf is, is wild and the training yeah. can only facilitate greatness. But at the end of the day, if a, a frisbee is a frisbee mm-hmm. and it was designed for you to just snap your wrist and let it fly. And it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, if your brain's locked up in the yeah. wrong way, like all that training and all those things. Like, I deserve abilities, this. No, I'm dude. You just
0: close your eyes and pull your rattler out and just snap it, like and you'd be surprised at how beginners' luck is a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that that letting the, the whatever you're doing give you a sense of amazement is yeah. a real thing. And I think it sounds like And yeah, were...
1: a lot of beginners don't have don't have the bad memories to be able to exactly. overthink things, and it's just like they're not jaded. Yeah.
0: By like bad luck or anything like that. So, dude, that's amazing, man. Um, I guess moving forward, last last uh, couple things, like like where do you see? I guess from your fresh lens, where do you see disc golf going? Like, maybe what what is your uh, what is your fresh idea behind it? Because you don't have this context of years like all these years prior. And uh, any uh, any closing words that you have for the people that have clearly supported you over the past week? I'm sure you've gotten a ton of messages from lots of people and. Uh, you've gotten a lot of publicity and I obviously want to help with that cuz I think you're a fantastic human being. What do you what do you got
1: for us? I feel like disc golf's in a great place and it's continuing to rise really quickly. Also with that quick rise and change, it's going to expose some things that we that we need to adjust in our sport. I feel like us us being player officials, hopefully within the next 3 to 5 years we can at the least have some roaming uh, some roaming officials on each course whether that's old players who aren't really playing as much anymore and are going to help out and uh, I think, uh, you know, it might take hiring, you know, a group of traveling officials that kind of come around to events with us. And, like, even if we have a couple on the course, I think it'll just, like, it'll just tighten things up a little bit. And uh, I feel like in the field of competition, we just want everything to be consistent. Like, we want a card to go out at 830 in the morning with these four people, and it plays the exact same as this this card at 12 o'clock with these four other people. And right now where we are, it's, like, hard to know that that's happening all the time um as a competitor you you try to just do what you can and, and trust everybody and for 99 percent of the time everything's gonna be great because yeah. we have a lot of great people in the world and uh most people are trying to be honest competitors and when you have four people that helps or three or four people on the card it helps to you know mitigate some of that but still here and there it's like it's going to create room for just people who don't want to deal with something and they're, they're just going to give a guy a call because he's kind of arguing in it and it's just like so I, I think uh you know a little more regulation on that side of the game and i think uh just a little more regulation in general, in general in terms of you know T pad length and T pad size. I feel like there's a lot of different size people and mm-hmm. some of these shorter, shorter well, T pads. Like yeah, the, the
0: lengths are changing on courses. So For back sure. in the day, if a course is all two hundred to three hundred feet, of course, like a shorter T pad. Yeah, you can fun. take three steps and yeah. generate the
1: power. But nowadays, yeah, when you need to throw the disc four hundred forty feet dead straight, like I need four good steps to, to yeah to generate the power that I want there. Um, so I think little changes like that, I mean, whether or not we go to a single basket designed by, I don't know, maybe not a manufacturer. I'm not sure if that's our route or we want a couple different approved baskets. In that case, I'm I'm not super huge on it. I think just some, a little bit more uh, exclusivity in terms of what we use on the top level, maybe will happen there. Uh, our media is getting better and better. And I think we're, that's going to keep happening. And I feel like we're we're right on the brink of some big outside stuff coming oh, yeah. in sponsorship wise, and I think uh, we're going to start getting there quick.
0: Yeah, whether people like it or not, <laughs> like it's going to yeah, happen. It's going gonna,
1: it's gonna to crowd your local courses, and you're, and you're going to have people out there throwing who you're like, oh man, they're slowing me down. But I hope there's stuff. fifty. I
0: hope it becomes like fifty fifty private to public. Like yeah, that's what I would love. So then beginner players can go play the public courses, and then the private courses can charge like a membership fee. So then, if you are very serious about it, you can have a place to be, to be yourself, and like enjoy the game at your pace. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be yeah. a little bit of a crowded time. I think we'll get,
1: I think we'll get there eventually. And I, I think on the disc golf pro tour, even within maybe the next three to five years, we probably won't really see any public events. Um, just because like with the way you can monetize a private venue and and sell the drinks and do all the little things that that you can do, and and the liability issues and the optics of not having people there that shouldn't be there and and all the things that come along with that. I think we're we're definitely going to be leaning that way, especially at the top of the game. And um, yeah, as more courses go in around the places, hopefully, hopefully each city does a good job of putting in beginner courses and challenging courses and as well as private owners around the area. I feel like disc golf, I feel like I tell people all the time, I think, I think it's going to be bigger than golf in 50 years I say that as kind of like a, a far out there. Like I'm kind of hopeful that it might be even sooner, just the way our world's going environmentally, and just um, I feel like people are just gonna realize just how much like I don't know. Golf is just kind of a, a it's a pretty exclusive game in terms of when you when you compare it to disc golf. Mm-hmm. You have to have the money. Kind of it uses a ton of resources. Disc golf I feel like is the golf of the future. It's it's more inclusive. It's less uh, resource depleting. I just feel like we really have an opportunity to, like, blow up and and become one of the bigger sports, like, in the world within the next 20, 30, 40 years or even sooner.
0: Yeah, I think it could very well be a part of just, like, the regular stream of consciousness. Like, Ultimate, too. Like, Ultimate is a phenomenal game. And I think if a few things get cleaned up in Ultimate as well, like, in Mm -hmm. regards—maybe not regulation, but, like, you know, just as gameplay evolves and people become more competitive, like, Mm -hmm. games need to change, you know? And I think— the flying disc just opens up a new world
1: of of Yeah, sport. It's, it's it's so unique and and yeah like with I feel like it's just more dynamic thing than the golf ball you know the golf ball you can hit different variations of straight with different spins fun disc golf like we can make some shapes that like can blow your mind like it's just more variation to the shapes and, it, and there's just there's some there's this some special about landing something that's gliding on the wind like far away from you softly where you want or. Even hardly with just anymore. your hand. Yeah.
0: Yeah, with just your body, which is cool, man. Um, I mean, thank you so much for for sitting down and giving some context as to like who you are, because I I mean I've played some golf with you and I've like hung out with you on this year of tour, but I don't I like most people I that I play disc golf with I don't know that much about them, so I appreciate you sitting down and like giving me the context and giving the listeners context because that's that's why we listen to the show and. Do you have any any final words? I know you've had a big couple of weeks. Uh, any, yeah, I
1: mean, uh, I, like Brian said, I want to thank everyone who's reached out and uh, supported me by buying my commemorative disc that just dropped with Latitude or just wishing me well. Or I've had so many people tell me that I've inspired them, and to me that's like, as a human, that's like one of the most fulfilling things you could ever hear is that you've inspired another person to like want to be a better version of themselves um so thank you to everyone who's wished me well and even the couple people who drink who trickle a little salt a little hate in there like i appreciate you you know my fire is burning bright and i tell people if you want to throw me a stick like i'll toss it right on in there and uh i'll add it to the fire (laughs) um and also i want to want to say thank you brian i've been a big fan of your show and i've watched pretty much every episode up to this point and i just love the the depth you get into the game with and uh you just see the game differently than, than a lot of people, and uh, I really appreciate your attention to detail. I have fun playing with you, man. Like you, you see the game
0: in a similar way. Like I feel like if I played basketball with you, we could talk triangle offense. Oh, you know? Yeah, I feel we, like no, we could we
1: would be moving and picking, and <laughs> yeah, we yeah, would be we would keep, be giving people trouble.
0: We'd have, yeah, we'd have some we'd have some fun. <laughs> thank you again, everybody, and we will see you in a couple of weeks with another episode. And Connor, thank you again, man. Thanks for having me. The Flight Diary is edited by Nick Soave, music by Johnny Darch. There are two events left on my 2021 disc golf tour schedule the Music City Open in Nashville, Tennessee, and the USDGC in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm currently taking an off week in Charlotte, North Carolina to make a couple of huge decisions for the rest of my disc golf career. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you again in a couple of weeks.